The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr., writer at the Peninsula Pulse in Door County Living, and we're talking about housing again today. And I know we talk about that a lot on our podcast, but this issue isn't going away. And thankfully, some things are happening to take some steps forward, which is a far cry from, you know, almost 20 years of simply talking about this that we've been doing in Door County. So we've actually been taking some strides recently. With me to talk about this is one of those people who are helping to take those strides and take some tangible action. Marissa Downs of Mosaic Development and kind of involved in a lot of different housing discussions and projects in Door County. Marissa, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Thank you, Miles. It feels really weird to be doing this (laughs) because I listen to the podcast. And so it's like I'm behind the scenes and it feels really scary. Hot tip. (laughs) Don't listen to the podcast after it's recorded. I never. I won't. I won't. I already told myself, I'm like, this episode will never be listened to by me. I I very rarely listen back to the ones we record because I'm also very nervous about it. And then you you like, you think about all the things you wanted to say differently or ask differently, or I realize my my verbal tics or my mumbles. So yeah, just don't listen to it. It'll be fine. Okay, good. I'm looking forward to it. Um, First of all, before we get started, kind of introduce yourself to our listeners and what your connection to Door County is and what your career is and how you got involved in this housing sector at all. Sure. So I have been coming up to Door County a lot with my husband for probably the last 15 years since I moved back to Wisconsin, but he had been coming his whole life. And so it was something that we started to do once we moved back here. And I, I, I mean, like everybody, right? You come up here and you just fall in love with it. It's so special. There's so many amazing things about it. And I've always worked in affordable housing, worked throughout the country on different affordable and workforce housing projects. What does that mean, work in affordable housing? Building them? or Interesting. <laughs> so how far in the weeds do you want to go on this? Moderate weeds. Okay. But. So I used to work for a company that would actually, so there are tax credits associated with building certain types of affordable housing. They come through an agency, a state agency. They come from the federal government. The state agencies are allowed to allocate them per their plan, and and they come up with what their objectives are, et cetera. Anyways, I used to work for a company that would purchase those credits, and then we'd syndicate them, and and sort of that's how these developments would get equity by by selling these credits. So I used to do that. And then when I moved back to Wisconsin, I started working for developers who were building affordable housing. And so I did that for a long time. And then right before COVID, I decided to go out on my own and do it myself, and then COVID happened, so that was like great timing. <laughs> um, so throughout my career, I've worked on affordable housing developments in a number of states, but now I focus on Wisconsin specifically. And so, you know, I had been coming up really since like 2005, like with regularity okay. to Door County and always hearing about, right, the scarcity of housing, of course, you know, I was here during the recession too. So, I mean, you know, we had some blips, right? When yeah. it was like everything was available and <laughs> and so things have changed, right? But turns out we all should have bought everything. Exactly. In I think to myself, I'm like, oh, so many great opportunities missed. But I think I was having a conversation with a business owner probably in, you know, probably like 2019. And she was saying, you know, it's so hard to find affordable housing for a workforce. And, you know, I, I've been engaged in these conversations for years here. And I don't know why, even though this is what I was doing, it never occurred to me that I could do something about it. You know, mm-hmm. So I was having this conversation with this business owner, and I'm like, you know, I actually do this. 
actually build affordable housing. <laughs> I could probably try to do this here. And so that was sort of that moment of like, oh, okay. Because I do think that what, right, this is always the conversation. We're here. We love it here. We also rely on a workforce that is given no luck, right? Like it's expensive. It's scarce. The housing's scarce. The work is hard. You know, you're here for the season. It is constant work. Yeah. And then maybe you get a little break on the off season, but you also need to be able to make enough money to survive on the off season. So I think yeah. you're really, as business owners, you're, you're stuck with like the worst of conditions mm -hmm. to try to support your workforce and grow your business or even sustain, right? Because even if you want to do right by your employee and employ them all winter long, yep. you don't have the business to do it. Right. And so you're sort of like squirreling away during the, so I, so I think it's hard. And I don't even remember what your question even was, was tell about my company, I think. So I've sort of gotten off track. No, that, this is great because I, like you say that, I thought that was really interesting when you say, wait, I do this, but I never thought of doing it right. here. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you say, like, why don't I try to do this here? But why is that, do you think? Is it easier to do it elsewhere? Or do you just not think of Door County as like a a place to do this? What's the... I think maybe, and I've wondered this too, is it because when I would come here, it'd be more like not in work mode, right? Yeah. Here to like enjoy and, and be not... You're leaving work behind you. Know? Right, exactly. And I'm like, oh, I could, you know... I so could you've do my ruined job your here. vacations now, by <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's actually somewhat true. I think also it is super hard. Let's say I've worked on 100 affordable workforce housing developments in my career. This is the hardest one I've ever done. Wow. Yeah. Where, where are some of the other places as examples where you would do this? Is it Fox Valley? Because you were out of Appleton? I'm out of right. Appleton. Yep. I have one under construction in Appleton, okay. one under construction in Green Bay, one in pre-development in Wapaka, which is kind of a similar, but not quite. They have a lot of the same housing challenges in terms of like vacationers and hmm. second homes, but yet wanting to support industry. They have a ton of manufacturing as well. And for the listeners, these are, so there's different terminology here. You'll hear the phrase and you'll even see it in our paper where people will say workforce housing. That doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's kind of like saying all natural cereal. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have any legal definition. If you just say workforce housing, that's just a way for a lot of people to make a project sound more amenable to a city or a village. And that's it. That's bad. That's just, it doesn't mean that it is necessarily affordable if you if you just call it workforce housing. So what you're talking about are a lot of projects where you're actually getting some federal or state grants or local subsidies to try and build stuff that's locked in at a rate for people. Right. Okay. And that is pretty much the main thing you do? Yep. From a development perspective? Yep. Okay. And so you said this is the hardest one. And mm -hmm. for the listeners also, I don't think we've introduced, your company has developed the Shoals, which is a 45-unit affordable housing project in Sister Bay. It's near Northern Door Children's Center and Scandinavian Lodge. That's the best way I can describe for people. It's right on Highway 57. So that's the spot. If you're driving into Sister Bay and you see that, I know a lot of people are like, what are those? What's all that building? It's like, well, this is actually that building that's going toward this big problem we have. So hopefully I've, I've placed our listeners where we're at now. Why is this so hard? Well, I Door think County? so... If you're looking at, let's just say, an apartment development that you drive by, let's just say Appleton because it's that's easy, right? Connected to utilities, most likely, right? It's pretty developed, the city of Appleton. So yeah. you're going to probably have a utility connection right there. Probably infill. Maybe not, but, you know, probably, probably you're just in infill development. Or if you're on the edge of the city, let's say, you probably have a road, probably have utilities. You probably have an option, electric or gas, your gas line is probably in the road. You probably don't have a rock bed that is like 
two inches under, you know, like, I mean, there, so you, you're, you're looking at your costs. You probably could have, you know, some municipal support, financial support. Your rents are probably going to be higher. So even when we talk about affordable housing, it's all based on a county median income. Yeah. So, and the, the data is really, you know, they, they look at your county's income truly. And then they, they decide, okay, what's that median based on that data. And then they set your income levels on that. So Dane County, county median income way higher. So if I'm a developer who wants to build affordable housing, go to Dane County, that'd be great. I mean, there are a lot of problems with Dane County, Madison, especially a lot of restrictions, a lot of things that they like to see that add to cost. But for the most part, I mean, if you're looking at doing something that's affordable, a higher county median income is going to give you a higher rent because it's all based on that. Right. So we have a lot of those, you know, so here, so if we're looking at that development in Appleton and now we look at Sister Bay, a terrible rock bed, right? <laughs> I, I do remember expensive. you calling me at one point and, or maybe I had called you for something and you just anecdotally are like, I have never had to blast this much for anything oh, I've ever built. <laughs> it's just, I mean, so it was kind of like, so, so, and I remember, you know, like I said, I was kind of like, I'm doing this. I was committed to it you know, then started the research and it's like, oh, you know, WPS. So let's talk about gas connection. They're like, oh, you, you realize there's not a natural gas line north of Sturgeon Bay. I'm like, what? Oh no, we can't even blast a line in. Like, no, just doesn't exist. So it's like, oh, okay, shoot. That's going to be, I mean, LP, that's a huge pain, right? Like yeah. doing that, have to get it filled. Maybe you've heard of how expensive that is right now. Yeah. Like it's just right. So that's that's just one factor, right? Which is something that if you if you grew up up here, you're just used to everybody having a, yeah. a propane tank. Mm -hmm. But when I moved to Chicago, and I was kind of shocked the first time I, I was trying to hook up my utilities and stuff. Oh, it's just like this. It's just yeah, like you a just phone call. line. You yeah. just call and you're just like, yeah, all right. Can you, I have switched uh, over that? To your name? You're okay. Good. Yeah, easy. So there's you know you have that. I can go back a little in, in the story because when I decided I wanted to do it, the beginning of the research on that, you sort of work backwards and all of a sudden it's like there are two options, indoor county, really, if you want to build any sizable number of units, Sturgeon Bay and Sister Bay, just because they have the municipal utilities there. You know, they have water and sewer. Yeah. And basically, you know, any multifamily, I think above two units, you're sprinkling you have to have a sprinkler. Yeah. So, okay, then you're sort of limited then because you're not going to do a well. To do a well for that, you have to have a special holding tank to be able to, you have to have a know, cistern that correct. can feed that. I've talked to several different developers around the county or even like individuals who are like, I just want to, I want to help with this. I have this property. I'm going to build a four unit apartment complex. And they're like, oh, you have to sprinkle that. It's, now yes. I have to get a cistern. My cost just went up a hundred thousand. Absolutely. Even yeah. uh, across the street here, Lakeshore Adventures put some housing upstairs to solve this, to get around sprinklers. He had to put multiple exits, extra stairways, and which mm -hmm. adds to cost and reduces the footprint that you can actually use for housing. Mm -hmm. So the sprinkler thing is obviously great if a fire breaks out, but it's it adds to your costs in so many other ways. And there's not like, you'd think you'd have some way since that's a f like a, a building code yeah. issue that the state would somehow try and if you were, if you wanted to create more affordable housing, it'd be great if you could subsidize that so that that's not just adding to cost. Yeah. It literally has stopped dozens of projects. Oh, yeah. I mean, Small and large in Door County. When I started out looking at this, remember in Egg Harbor when there was the, it's like by the water treatment plant, there was some property there. I'd looked at that. Then I'm like, I can't do it here. This is, I'd need a well. I'd need to have this. I'd have to do special design for this. So I think that that's sort of when you really want to build any sizable development, sizable, even more than let's say 10 units. I mean, you're really going to be limited to 
Sister Bay if you want to be in Northern Door. And I did want to be in Northern Door because that has been, you know, there's been no housing really affordable, nothing since 2012 or whatever. So, you know, I mean, and so that was sort of my focus, but then I had found this land. It was bank owned. I mean, there was the whole, you know, so, so, so that particular parcel came with a lot of baggage, right? So as I'm looking to propose this to the village, right? And, and knowing that if I want to do affordable housing, there will be a gap, right? Like there just is a financial gap. You need to grant right for it. And, and I did, and there was still a gap. So coming back to the village and saying, hey, I know you already have done something here and it didn't work. Yeah. Do you want to do it again? They'd been left holding the bag yeah. in the past. Yeah. So they had bad vibes. Exactly. But that was really, again, the closest parcel I could find that was, you know, adjacent to utilities. Like we still had to do a lot, but it yeah. was there. You know, it was right by there all the things. There wasn't a road. There right. wasn't, the connections weren't already done. Right. There was a plan to build a road there at some point from the village, but they, obviously without any housing there, they had never had to right. do it. So you propose this, you get some of the, the bad vibes. I do remember you talking to you at one point, and I think it was just because of your involvement in other committees about housing in Door County. Mm-hmm. And you had said, hey, I, I got these tax credits, but I'm not actually hearing back from the village. Like, Yes. Do they want this or not? Uh-huh. And I, I was shocked because yeah. you had gotten like $7 million in yeah. in uh, Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority tax credits. And I was talking to folks at the village and they just, they didn't recognize what it was. And this was part of the learning curve is these just don't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, in a place like Appleton, they probably have city staff dedicated to things like this who spend a lot of time and have seen this every year proposals come forward right. and, and they're used to this process. A place like Sister Bay, there's been one of these the one in, in 2012, which is up the road from you, smaller development. But it's not something that people are used to. It's not something administrators up here are used to seeing. And it's not something boards up here are used to seeing. Right. So there's a whole educational hurdle to get over there. When you go in and, and you sort of, you submit an application, right? These things are, the credits are really competitive. You have to have a proposal to WIDA. You have to describe everything. It's, you know, it's a, it's a month, you know, six month process that you're waiting and, you know, submit and and you wait to see. And once you get them though, once they award them to you, you have very limited time to start. Mm. They, they have benchmarks, right? Because these are scarce resource. They also expire for 10 years. Correct. They expire. So once you get them, it's like, okay, it's go time. And I think that was maybe a little bit of the shock to the village too. Sort of yeah. like, no, I can't, we can't talk about it after, you know, two years from now, or you can't think about it, or you can't like put it in the budget for 2024. It's got to be started in nine months. Yeah. So, and that's quick, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, especially up here. I mean, we yeah. have, we're a, a place that in some ways it helps us because people are very thoughtful about their decisions and, and it might have to go through meeting after meeting after meeting before something moves forward. But in a case like this, where you have some of that sense of urgency, it's not something that a lot of our communities are used to. Right. Right. So you end up getting this thing done with Sister Bay. They pitch in some money. The county pitches in some money. Now you've got these 45 units. I think all 45 are completed now, right? You just yeah. completed them yep. um, June or July. Mm-hmm, July. What's your occupancy right now? Of one vacant unit. So, mm-hmm. and hopefully that'll be rented by the end of the month. So, this was completed in July. You have one vacant unit. Mm-hmm. We're about eight weeks later. <laughs> yeah. And I think we, we had phased, right? Because we had it's four buildings. So, they came on sort of in a rolling fashion. You know, I think one thing to, to touch on 
and I know you're adding this possibly, you know, to things where we're talking about the Workforce Housing Lending Corporation. And, sure. and so when we talk about, you know, money from the county and other things, I mean, that is, I don't want to forget to kind of touch on how important that is because I think, okay. you know, and we've talked about this and we've talked about it in a lot of different forums, I think, in the county. If I'm a market rate developer, and so let's just even look at the shoals, you know, as that's been in pre-development and development, you know, we were post-COVID, so we have all of the supply chain issues, like to the extent where like electrical switch gear was like 12 months out and still kind of is, right? You, you're really still dealing with some of that. And costs, basically, as soon as you start this project, costs for everything skyrocket. Exactly. So inflationary pressure there and then trying to close on financing. And at that time, so it was last May, you know, already rates had been going up. I think 50 basis points from where I had thought, and I was trying to jam on get it closed as quickly as possible because we knew it was going to keep going up. So, you know, we, if you're a market rate developer and you have all these added costs, right, you really, and this is why we see rent, you know, has gone up. It's a little bit stabilized now, but we had been seeing rents had just been going up crazy percentages every year. Because if I'm a market rate developer, I'll just raise my rents. Like I can raise my rents. If I have more cost, then my rents will just go up to to make sure I'm at the same place. And we're seeing that throughout Northern Door County and, and yeah. Surgeon Bay, but places that were much ballyhooed at, you know, hey, it's $1,100 a month and you get this great thing. Those are now $1,500 yeah. a month without as much as included either. Right. And so when you can do that, and it has an effect rate, of course, in the market, but when you're looking at an affordable development and you can't do that, you can't raise your rents, then you're just coming back to say, how do we close the gap? You know, how do we find a way to still do a development? Mm -hmm. And in Wisconsin, we don't have a lot of resources. We don't have a lot, you know, some states... They use sales tax or they use other sort of pots of money that they might create an affordable housing fund or they may, you know, municipalities might do it themselves or they have impact fees where some of those go to build affordable units. We just don't have much of that. You know, we really have TIF. And since COVID, we've had the American Recovery Act dollars, yeah. the ARPA money. And without the ARPA money and for the Shoals, absolutely. Without the ARPA money, wouldn't have happened. I would have had to just say it can't be done. I mean, the ARPA hmm. money from the county basically was like last in. And even WIDA then also did get some ARPA money and they put some ARPA money in as well. And how much are we talking about here? So from the, county, the county gave five hundred thousand in ARPA, but then they also gave, I think it was two hundred to the village of Sister Bay because when we started looking at the utility costs, the village had said, you know, we'll be able to pay for some of these because it was going to benefit more than just the shoals. You know, putting yeah. that cherry wood lane in is was benefiting all of the homes back there right. too. And then the other lots, right, that are still undeveloped, that all those connection points were going to be important. And the utilities were going to benefit all of those other parcels too. Sure. But when we had looked at the cost for that and the village had it, like, you know, soft bid, it was ended up, when we ended up getting it hard bid, it was three times more wow. than what it was, you know, when it was first priced. So the county came and did give some money to help to offset that. I mean, we would it didn't offset all of it. I mean, it still was the biggest cost. And then how much did the village, their utilities, was it like $460,000 yep. if I'm remembering yep. correctly? And then they got the 200 from the county. So almost 650 mm -hmm. to 700,000 mm -hmm. and the 500,000 from the county. So those that basically was 700,000 of that is just like covering the the skyrocketing costs that happened at the time. Right. More or less. Yeah. Well, I think I just to point out that when you have 
that gap. I mean, I think we're going to see it more, right? And I think that that's why that Workforce Housing Lending Corporation will be so important because I think it, that's why we're not seeing, you know, it's hard to build. It's hard to, to build housing like this and it's hard to find that gap source and it's hard to do it and still keep rents somewhat affordable, right? Yeah. And, and even if you're not under a program like what I'm working with, you know, people who just want to like help or just yeah. to build a housing that's supporting the workforce. It's hard to do it. So you now have 44 of your 45 units are full. Mm -hmm. One measure that just speaks to just the level of demand that yeah. it just fills that quickly. But who are these people? Like in, in general terms, you know, people see here affordable housing. And unfortunately, we still have a lot of people who go, you know, what I would say, go to a insulting place with that <laughs> in their heads. And, mm -hmm. you know, think that this is some sort of bad thing or that these people are freeloading. To be clear, like these people still pay for these units. Right. These are not like given away. And this was a problem at even even at town board meetings. I, I see this often where somebody will say something like this and they're never corrected. Like people just think that these that the when a town is talking about doing something like this, that they're talking about giving this away to people. Right. And at least in Door County, I've never seen that happen. No, and I think that this is I wish that there'd be a way to it's hard, right? There, are, There's a lot of nuance, but I think in, this is something that I have to talk about all the time. And I think that it's important for people to realize that when you're talking like a development like the Shoals, there's a rent, right? And people pay it. They have to pay rent every month. This is not something that is given to anybody. It's not even, the rent isn't even based on their income per se, you know, like how some, if we're talking about Section 8 or something yeah. like that, right? You're, you're paying rent based on your, your own income. Yeah, okay. So if your income is zero, you're possibly paying you know, zero. But that is not the case here. So we have a rent. You know, the rent, yeah, it's based on because there are... It's based on that median income number. Correct. It's based on the median income number, but there's a rent every month and it's paid by the tenant who lives in the unit. And I think, you know, so if we are saying, you know, what does that look like? What does the tenancy look like? I think that, you know, one thing, and, and Lauren Aurelius, a shout out to her if she listens to this because <laughs> she's our property manager and is fabulous. But, you know, I think she, just talking with her on, on actual you know, data, 75% of the people that live there already lived in the county. Hmm. So they're just, they couldn't find housing. Let's say they were living in a unit maybe that was too small or too expensive or with a friend or what have you. But, you know, so we're seeing that a lot of the residents were already here. Right. And now they just have something that's more affordable or suitable to their situation. Or, you know, maybe they were here for a season, but want to live here full time. Mm. And so they're whatever they had for housing now has, you know, they need to find something that's that's year round. I'd say about 25 percent are families with kids, which is great. I mean, I think there's workforce that are living there. I'd say the majority. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just been great to see at least up so quickly. Because I think, and it, and it's not, you know, this. I think Lauren and the management company have done a great job because it's a lot of work. And if anybody who's applied for a unit, you have to give a ton of information, right? Yeah. Because they have to verify everything. And that's kind of part of the process. And that turns some people off. It does. But the payoff for doing that is getting, you know, if you qualify, right. you know, that, that initial hurdle of giving all that information and gathering that information can pay off in saving you hundreds of dollars versus, exactly. you know, like the $1,500 a month apartments up there. But it free. is a lot of info. So I get yeah. it. Right. You know, so I think, I think it's been, it's been great to see that because I think when I wanted to do it and then started, I thought, oh my God, I hope there are this many, right? I hope that yeah. this actually can be filled. <laughs> that'd be really bad if it, you know, if it did. Yeah, so it's a large 
Yeah. What's the total cost of this? Is like I mean, $12 million, $13 million? Yeah, $13 million And then, um, you know, some of that infrastructure cost that was above and beyond just what that was outside of the that budget because it was already stretched too thin. Hungry for more great Door County stories? Pick up a copy of the autumn issue of Door County Living Magazine. In those pages, you'll learn more about the time an aging Curly Lambo turned up on the sidelines of Gibraltar High School football practices. You'll find out why a nondescript post is much more than a light pole in Ephraim. And you'll be inspired by a family that made Sister Bay their home by the flip of a coin. Find these stories and many more on newsstands everywhere in Door County. The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. So you're making a big bet. When you're doing this in, say, in Appleton or a, a larger community, and it's been done before, so it's kind of a, a case proven in some of these communities, this is the largest one. I think Brett Picoy told me this is the largest one ever in Door, Door County. Yeah. So you're making a big bet that there's actually all the stuff we've talked about and studied. Yes. Yeah. Hey, part of you goes... Well, there, there must not really be that because otherwise the market would have fixed this, right? Somebody would have built this. So there's got to be some hesitancy when you're approaching this to go, why am I the only one doing this? Maybe I'm wrong. And in the sort of diligence phase, right, I had a market study done, like a market analyst came and looked at all of the properties and comps. And, and so I felt reasonably sure, but you never know, right? You never really know Yeah. what will happen when you actually open your doors. Will people like the product or will it be, you know, value for what they are paying for rent or, you know. And so you, I think you said somewhere around maybe half of your tenants, give or take, might be over the age of 60. Could be, yeah. Could be. Now, to some people, and I know this comes come up at the village where they say, well, we thought this was all going to be workforce and now you have seniors living there. Well, first of all, I mean, my dad's 80. He's still working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we employ several people over the age of 60 here at The Pulse. It doesn't mean 60, you stop working. But also... When the housing study was completed in 2019, it was a big part that I had ignored in my mind. I've always been focused on, like anybody, you kind of focus on your age and what your life experience is. Mm-hmm. Like, so now I'm in my 40s, I have kids, so I care more about the kids stuff, right? When I was 20s, I was just like, where are my waiter and waitress buddies can't find housing? That's all I cared about, yeah. right? And that housing study said, like, we're really short on senior housing. And sure enough, we are. And then I didn't realize the level of desperation for some of our seniors? I would say most communities in Wisconsin are short on senior housing. Really? Affordable. Yeah. Let's okay. say affordable. Because I think that, again, that's hard to get get the numbers to work. And if you're talking about non-assisted, right, you just like somewhere to go that if you don't want to have your house anymore, that you can downsize and go somewhere. But now most places, most communities, people think, I can't even sell my house because I don't have anywhere affordable to move afterwards. So I think there's that. And as I've gotten older, right, like all of a sudden 60, it's like 20 years ago, I'm like 60s. Yeah, yeah, you should just be like on the beach at 60. It's like, no, you're (laughs) like working. You know, people at 60 are still working. So I think that that we're finding that too, right? There's there are still residents who are there who might be over the age of 60, but who are still also working. Yeah. I mean, I worked for a number of years at the Sister Bay Bowl. There's a sizable portion of that staff working their butt off in their 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. I mean, but 
in any case, whether they're working or not, like people need housing. Right. It's still a segment. And then you have roughly half of that. That's be like 20 to 25 units are occupied by people in that prime workforce years or families. I got an email, a message on Facebook from somebody who contacted me. They were one of the first people to get an apartment there. And they've got a couple of kids. And they said, they were thanking me for doing this article. I mean, that's my job to write an article. But they said, thank you for writing that. I didn't have any idea about this. You know, my spouse just left me and I got in and now I have a place to go. Mm-hmm. And they were th- saying they, they were, they thought they had to leave the county and they didn't have anywhere to go. And like I said, I just wrote the article. I didn't build it. You, you built it. So, I mean, th- those kind of stories, it, it's always great to get that feedback. And it's, that's one of the great things about doing what we do at the Pulse is you, you provide this conduit to not just get information out, but then to hear back from people once they've, when that information has been helpful to them. But so you have people like that in those apartments too, which has got to be incredibly fulfilling. To it you. is. And I think, you know, Northern Door really has a supply issue, right? I mean, there is not enough housing for people to live there who want to live there. I mean, most people, like in the case of the person you're mentioning, if the only other option would be to live in Sturgeon Bay, right? Like the only place you might be able to find something that's affordable for you and your family, that changes. Are you going to drive 30 minutes every day to get to work? I mean, maybe. You're going to start looking for a job down there. Right. You're probably not going to stay employed up in Northern Door if you're living there. The other thing is like that, that also provides the classic like mixed use mixed population Mm -hmm. housing that any study under the sun will tell you is the best way to do it. So one of the things with, which I see all the time in the other apartments, after I drop my kids off at the Northern Door Children's Center, you pull out and there's, you know, I know some of the families in there. I know some of the elderly folks who live in the Blackstone and I know some of the young families that live there. And when you talk to them and you talk to the elderly folks, they love seeing the kids riding their bikes Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. and the kids love knowing the lady down the street, you know, there's so many other neighborhood benefits that come out of that as well. So it's not, you don't want people housed in silos, like only these people here, only these people here. And we are trying to create community, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I think what the the end goal is for any housing that you want to build, especially up here, right? You want to build community. This is not just, you don't want everyone just driving in their garage, shut their door and just sit inside and, you know, be on their iPads or whatever. I mean, you <laughs> want to like be out and meeting people. And I do think that that is something we're seeing already there, which is great. What would, you know, I'm kind of curious who decides certain units, if I have this right, it's like this unit might be available. We have a one bedroom that's available to somebody making 30% of the median income. We have another one bedroom that's available to somebody making 80%. Or we have a two bedroom or a three bedroom. You have this big mix. Like, how is that decided? Does that come from the state? Or is that you going, I think we could rent some of these. I think we could rent some of those. A little bit of both. Because the state, like I mentioned, has this qualified allocation plan. So they come up with this every two years. It doesn't change always a lot, you know, but it, it should reflect the state's priorities. So we see a lot of the goals, let's say, like, okay, really, you should, they, they might give you some some goals. Like, we'd like to see a certain percentage at 30%, because those are, it, it's impossible to build a development with just 30% units, because they you don't cover their, it. they don't cover expenses. Yeah. Literally, the rent isn't enough to pay for the expenses. So the state likes to see a little of that, because They know that other than that, putting them in with other higher set-aside units, they won't be built anywhere, right? So you won't ever get any of those units in the state. So there's always a little of that. And then the rest of it really is based on market analysis, looking at what there is. Sometimes, sort of like how the Workforce Housing Lending Corporation will do it, sometimes some of your grants that you write, like I'll write certain grants, they'll want to see 
you know, a, a certain, certain mix. A certain mix. So you kind of build it knowing that. Okay. And then also wanting to get some of those 80% AMI units because we just know that there's there are people that make, you know, around that amount. And so wanting to make sure there are enough to also provide something for those renters because 80% AMI, I mean, it's still under the market. Yeah. You know, it's still under the market rent f- that you could get at, um, you know, some of these other newer market rent And you studied this in more detail than I have, but my in my reporting and talking to tons of people trying to find housing up here, my impression mainly is that there is one of the huge problems is this gap where you're not necessarily, I don't think a lot of these people would say like, yeah, I'm, I'm broke, I'm poor, I can't afford housing. They're like, I make a good living. But there's just nothing like in, say, like the $900 to $1,200 range. Most things are significantly higher than that. And maybe they could swing that or they do swing that, but it's like they're not getting ahead. They, they don't see a oh, pathway yeah. to saving money to one day buy a house, which leaves you always with one foot out the door. I was in that same boat at one time in my life where you're like, I don't really see a path to getting anything here. So you're always looking for an opportunity to move and leave. Yep. So that's kind of where that 80% rate is, right? Is trying to hit like, can we make some units that fit in that gap? And I think that this is right. I could go on about that particular point for a long time because I think (laughs) that we're trying to figure out. So sort of 80% is the max that you can do under WIDA's program. And that's really any state. Any state that has a program that's like, let's say, 80 to 120% of AMI, they've created it at the state level. Okay. There's not a federal option for that. Okay. And we've seen legislation at the Wisconsin state level, but it doesn't go anywhere. Hmm. kind of gets stuck because it's really hard. Someone has to administer it. It's hard to ask WIDA to do another program, Yeah. unfortunately, right? So how do you, because there's really no assistance there. There's really no um, gap funding there for that AMI, but yet you are going to struggle with your rent and paying your rent and having much left over afterwards. Yeah. So I don't, you know, we, I think that that's why when we look at like the housing, we have a lot of room to find solutions for some of these. I mean, and I think it's just, it takes educating people, legislators, and trying to explain. And I think I think that that's what, you know, we had so many years without significant, you know, wage growth. Yeah. But our housing has been going up. So you're just, people are just like on a hamster wheel. Yeah, your housing costs have been going up. Yeah, yeah. And then the supply of housing has, well, in Door County, there have been a lot of units built, but they're not built for, generally, they're not built for the workforce. Right. You know, there's, so you see a lot of building, but it's generally built for second homes and things like that. Well, I think the thing that's interesting We've talked about this before. It came to, I did not know it until I had that market analyst give me my report that some of the market rate apartments were being rented by sort of someone as a second home. Yeah. So that just takes it out of the supply. I mean, so you're. So you think you've built two or 300 units. But you're like, wow, this must be, why do we still need to build? And it's, they're just kind of becoming second Mm -hmm. homes again. Right. What would you do differently? Like when you look back at the, like the mix of units, is there like one thing now where you look at what you built and you're like, you know, if I did it again, I'd build all one bedrooms or I'd build more three bedrooms. What would you? I would have done a few more one bedrooms. And I think so if, you know, for those who are familiar with these, with the Shoals, I think this particular design is really popular. Anywhere I've built something like this is really popular because it's almost sort of mimics a single family home. It has, you have your own garage, you have your own, you know, individual entry 
it's single story, so you don't have a someone living above you. It's a really nice design, and it's great for families. Families love it. And there are, in most communities, no three-bedroom apartments, or very few. It's like the thing that yeah. really doesn't get built all that much. Because I think for the longest time, the assumption was, well, if you need three bedrooms, you're going to buy a house. Right. But when you can't buy a house because you just can't buy a house, the three-bedroom rental option... Three-bedroom home in Northern Door County, maybe six to seven hundred thousand yeah, dollars. Exactly. Right so you think, okay, how? So anywhere that three-bedroom rentals, in, especially in this design, has been built, they're the first to go. But I think that because I was limited on space, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to do however many three bedrooms. I don't really have a lot of room to, you know, I have to kind of decide what's the market. Two bedrooms were really going to be. That was known. The data was showing there weren't enough two bedrooms, and those were the most popular unit type already. So I was going to have a lot of those. And so just sort of when I'm putting the Tetris together, I'm like, okay, well, there are only a couple ones. That's okay. There probably aren't a lot of one bed, you know, probably won't be that big of a deal. I wish I had done a few more of those. Yeah, that would be my guess too. I've always thought like, when I moved to Chicago, I just rented a studio. The cheapest apartment you could Mm -hmm. get and it's all I needed. You know, I just needed a 500 square foot unit and with a small kitchen and stuff. And like a lot of the people working in, the jobs that we have, the service industry, things like that, that probably is a ballpark of what they need. And we don't have, I mean, there, there might be a smattering of studio apartments, efficiency apartments in the entire county. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that's built up here. Right. Because so much, I mean, you know, most of the housing stock I always rented was like a kind of a crappy old home yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that somebody couldn't rent. So one other thing that you've done with that property that, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of street trees and sidewalks and, and walkability. You do have sidewalks throughout that. And hopefully the village will connect if, if some of the, the plans for this highway 57 path come through, those will connect to downtown. So unlike all of that housing that's been built in that region where they've never connected it with pedestrian infrastructure, mm-hmm. that'll finally be there. But then um, you also did a lot of work with street trees. You planted, how, how many trees have you planted on that property? Well, that'd probably be the other thing. If you're like, what would I have done differently? Not plant during the driest summer ever. <laughs> yeah. Because that, it's just like so sad. All of the plantings, like one week later, and we were watering, you know, had this yeah. sprinklers out. A week later, I'm like, that's dead. That's dead. That's dead. How many trees? Oh, I don't know. A lot. I mean, that the, the landscape buffer that was planned there, just because of 57, right, wanting to just soften that. Yeah. And so hopefully some of those, some of the trees are small. Hopefully they'll come in. And, mm-hmm. and I know that we're actually talking to Jeff Lutze about doing a planting. Excellent. Jeff Lutze is from the uh, Climate Change Coalition and also manages the big plant program that plants hundreds, if not thousands of trees every spring and fall. So we're looking at doing that in October. Excellent. Um, So I know those will be, of course, those are like 20 years from now trees. But right, I think that that, who doesn't, I mean, I love, I think everybody would love to have more landscaping in their, in their yard. It's just, you know, not cheap. (laughs) Well, and I just don't want to underrate it because if you, you look at a tree, like if you just had those sidewalks, but you weren't planting trees. Right. All right. Yeah. It might take 15, 20 years. But if you don't plant those trees, 15 to 20 years from now, you just got this big right. swath of cement and no shade for mm-hmm. anybody. And if you can put in a sidewalk, but if it's not fun to walk down, if it's not comfortable to use it, people don't use it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, and yes, some of those trees will die. Some of those bushes will die. You know what? Some of the trees and bushes that I plant in my yard die every year too. And that doesn't mean you don't do them. No. And, and I uh, think, and I think like other places will do that. They're like, well, that street tree died. It's like, yeah, you know what? Thousands of street trees live in New York City, in Brooklyn, in Wicker Park, in Chicago, in Milwaukee. Like, 
that doesn't mean they won't live. It just means, yes, some will die. Well, and the ones that are dead for us will be replaced. <laughs> so I don't know. I just think it's really great because you can see 10 years in the future. Now these kids and these families and, and the seniors that are walking around there are going to have these beautiful trees in their front yard, which is a great thing. I think that's the one thing that's hard to when you're whenever we have to cut trees. Right. I hate that because mm-hmm. there, there was vegetation there. Right. You have to clear yeah. it. Yep. And so that's, I think, the thing that, that you want to try to restore as much of that as you can. I was happy that, you know, where Northwoods went in, there was still a pretty dense tree line yeah. that that could, that that still was able to remain. Right. The other thing about it is affordable doesn't mean like that it has to be clear cut and you don't get any of the niceties that the rest of right. us would want in our own house. Right. Whoever owns the Blackstone, I hope you plant some trees in your yard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope everybody plants trees in their yard, no matter where you are. I think... We've covered most of the quiet. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Would you do it again? Hmm. I would. Well, and it's interesting. I still have some land that's that wasn't included in the shoals that's still there and still zoned for more housing. And I think that, you know, sort of like once I'm over my trauma from doing this, I might <laughs> look at doing something more because I still think we have, right, we need, there's more housing that we need to try to solve for. I would do it again. I mean, I've, I think that it was... The timing was terrible, right? I mean, COVID and just all of that just made it really difficult from a financial perspective. But I still am really proud of doing it. And I think that it achieved what we wanted to. I think that any housing that we can bring into the market is going to relieve some of the pressure. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, one thing that I think we don't talk about enough just as a community anywhere is how much additional housing taking a little bit of the pressure on vacancy Right. So I think that when when we're operating in a in a marketplace where there's zero percent vacancy, which is essentially what what we have in Northern Door or had when you have zero percent vacancy, rent increases are a given. You know, if you have zero percent vacancy, truly, you know, fixing up maybe let's say an aging housing stock is not necessary. Right. So you, you don't really have that you want to always have a little vacancy yeah. so that the market can sort of operate in a way where the landlord doesn't have all the power, right? Right. So I think that even just bringing 45 units into the marketplace generally should have a little bit of an effect on vacancy and sort of then help other renters who even still aren't renting necessarily at the shoals, right? But it just helps with the vacancy rate overall. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that, that you know, is important to recognize too. All right. Well, Marissa, Thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast. I know I geek out about the housing thing and I talk about it a lot, but it's it's so important and I see so many people I know who need this. So thank you for taking part in it and being part of what can be a frustrating process at times. So thanks for joining oh, us. Thanks for letting me come on. I've just, it's been a dream of mine. <laughs> yeah, <I bet. laughs> And now it's been fulfilled. So I'm not doing this ever again. Yeah, check this off your list. You're all set. That's it for this edition of the Door County Pulse podcast. Thank you again for joining us. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Marissa Downs about just the process that a a builder goes through both before they break ground and then the remaining hurdles once you do break ground. And then once you get the the thing finished, how you actually have to go about filling those units and and some of the other hurdles that come up later on. And that's not it for this uh, series of podcasts about housing. Up next Next week, next Wednesday, we'll be releasing our next edition in this little series with Mia Vlar from the town of Vail, Colorado. And I had a wonderful conversation with her that I think you're going to find really interesting. And I think 
for those working in the housing sector and who are concerned about the housing sector in Door County. You're going to find some really interesting ideas and a different approach that they're taking out in Vail, Colorado. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing the feedback we can get from from that and from all of these podcasts. So thanks again for joining us on the Door County Pulse podcast. Looking forward to talking to you again this Friday and then as well next Wednesday when we have Nia Blar from the town of Vail. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.